Hi, I'm Kasim Gaines, author of We Don't Need Roads, the making of the Back to the Future trilogy, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4. Hydrate Level 4. Welcome to Hydrate Level 4, and I'm your host, Peter. In celebration of the 30th anniversary of Back to the Future, I enlisted the help of nine fellow time travelers to share their love of the franchise in this three-part tribute. In Episode 1, we start off with... Hi, this is Jameson Rabbit from Movie Mojo Monthly and Real Reviews, uh, and I'm here to talk about Back to the Future. Uh, so talking back to the future, uh, back to the future, obviously, here we are at the anniversary, one of my favorite movies of all time, the series itself, one of my favorites. Um, I just the 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 summer of 85 when this came out, just this movie blew me away. This was something that I'd never seen before as a, a sucker for time travel movies. Back to the future was everything uh, just made for a kid my age, you know, eight years old, just enthralled by this and i think what did it was just the combination of these amazing characters of marty and doc and and one of my personal favorites george mcfly uh the ever weird crispin glover um and just the 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 way that the music was was used to build up certain parts and, and of course the the iconic delorean i mean the the it's just one of the most incredible movie vehicles that becomes a character throughout the series. Um, and it's just, if you talk about back to the future and it's, it's totality as a trilogy. Um, I have a, a soft spot in my heart for, for so many trilogies. And unfortunately many of them have been ruined by becoming more than a trilogy years afterwards. Um, but if we talk about great trilogies of all times, I still separate Star Wars into good trilogy, bad trilogy. Um, my The original Star Wars trilogy being my favorite. Uh, and the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, probably, probably tying with Back to the Future for a second. Back to the Future trilogy, I think, is one of the stronger from top to bottom. Uh, where it doesn't lose anything. Um, originally, for years, I had always thought that Back to the Future 3 was one of those movies that kind of dropped the ball a little bit. That was the lesser of the three. And it took me years uh, to rewatch and really look at it with a new set of eyes and realize that, no, three is three is excellent as well. Um, just a really good time. I don't know what it is. I can't pinpoint exactly what it is about the first Back to the Future um, that makes it so incredible. Um, I think a lot of it is the charisma of Michael J. Fox and just what he had that made him a star um, and the the great back and forth between he and Doc Brown. Um, just everything about it is is pretty incredible stuff. You know, and talking about talking about Marty and Doc, I mean, all of these characters, the, the, the thing I really enjoy about the franchise is it doesn't seem that there is the one character that's kind of the the anchor that drags 
everything down or the one character when they they show up in the scene you're like nah whatever everyone is so interesting and you know obviously the 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 standouts in in the movie of of Marty and Doc and and George I think are great but then everyone the, the I mean Biff is great all the, of the tannins throughout the franchise are great and so well written and they don't become just caricatures of based off of Biff they all have their own things and Biff could be very easily the just the, the stock bully that you know you'd see in any movie the big dumb ox bully but he's not he's more than that you see it more and more as you go along but he's so much fun he's so stupid but he's so funny and you know he has he has a reason why he's he is who he is um and just all of the great one liners that he has um you know the classic once you make like a tree and get out of here um my personal favorite though is is George McFly and the weird way that Crispin Glover was able to portray him as both the dad and the the young version and just the weirdness and the awkwardness that he naturally brings to the screen and I love every time that that he and Marty are together and just how there's just a weirdness about him where Marty becomes the father figure to him almost, pushing him, prodding him, pointing him in the right direction. And then even even later on when when he's back to really being his father, um, there's there's a weird dynamic between them that I always enjoy. Um, I love Doc. Doc is so great. Doc has written so well. And again, another character where you take the eccentricities and the weirdness that Christopher Lloyd naturally brings to every character that he does and just accentuate that as Doc Brown. And the the things that I love about Doc Brown is just, I mean, no matter what he's working on, there's always things in the background that he's working on too that you're like, well, look at that thing. This is, this is pretty cool. Um, and just the, 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 the eccentricities of him is what I really enjoy. Um, and Marty, of course, I mean, Marty's the star of the show, right? He's he's amazing, but um, I just love it. And, and you see when you you see the outtakes or the uh, the cut scenes from the Eric Stoltz era of this movie, and how tragically terrible that would have been. And then you see what we ended up with, and what what is a classic movie. I mean, it, it it's all about what Michael J. Fox was able to bring to the role and what they were able to do with him. And again, his kind of quirks and personalities and the squeaky voice teen that he that he portrayed for so many years into his 30s um i just i truly enjoy it there's these back to the future never gets old there's a reason that they release back to the future back into theaters every few years and it it plays well 30th anniversary and when i went to go see it back in the theaters here the 30th anniversary the house was three quarters full that's pretty incredible for a movie that basically everybody has seen to go and say, I'm going to pay my money to go see this. Um, really enjoyable time. So back to the future. I remember when this came out in the summer of 1985, when back to the future came out, I remember this was the first movie that I ever uh, pulled the hide in the bathroom and sneak back into the show again maneuver, which would become a, a favorite of mine for years. Nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do. I remember going to see this with my cousin, and we got dropped off at the theater, and uh, we 
saw the movie and were completely blown away by it. And we, he actually prompted me to try this trick of let's go. We'll hide in the bathroom when they sweep the theater out and then we'll just wander back in. Uh, and I don't know why we had, we felt we had to hide in the bathroom, but we did. That was the plan. So we're literally like in the stalls, feet up on the seats type deal as if they were going to come in and like check underneath the stalls for feet. And like, what are you doing in there? But that's the way we, this was very much spy stuff. Uh, and then uh, time it out and then wander back in there a couple minutes in. And we had a whole plan worked out if the uh, ushers or theater attendants were to come in and recognize us. We would say we, would say we were lost and we wanted our moms. <laughs> <laughs> Play up the whole dumb eight-year-old card. Um, but this was, uh, this was a movie that – this was also one of the, the first movies that I can remember um, not only skipping into a movie – uh, I, I hope the statute of limitations is expired on that. Yes, um, I believe it is. Good, good. All right. Uh, but it's also one of the first movies I remember begging my parents to take me to again, uh, which outside of the Star Wars franchise uh, was something that my parents were not real keen on. You know, was, uh, my my family was a very working class family and didn't quite see the appeal of paying to take me to a movie that I'd just seen. You know, like, well, you already saw it, but you don't need to see it again. You know, and, and but this was also before I re- we really had a VCR or anything like that. So if I wanted to see it again, I had to go see it again. Right. It wasn't like, oh, I'll wait five months and then I'll just get the DVD or it'll be on demand or what have you. No, we got to see it as many times as we can now or, or we may never see it again. Um, and it's just, I mean, Back to the Future is also, <laughs> oh, Back to the Future was also the, um, fourth dvd that i ever bought when i bought my dvd player uh oddly that i remember that but that was the fourth dvd that i ever bought the bare bones crappy edition of it but um yeah it's just it's it's one of those movies that that um not only that but the the subsequent sequels that just blew me away even even nowadays even now as a 30 something year old guy um I get sucked into it. I get sucked into part two. I still want that hoverboard in the worst way. Uh, I know it's become a cliche, but my God, I really want that hoverboard. I think, uh, yeah, it, I think everybody does. I mean, yeah. to be able to just to kind of fly, to hover above the ground. It, yeah, that just blew me away. I, I remember when part two came out, um, my dad dropped myself and my little sister off. My little sister was like six, I think, when that movie came out. Dropped us off at the theater, gave me $20. Uh, for snacks and such. And I assumed that I was, it was my mission to spend all $20 on snacks. Now, my six-year-old sister just wanted some of my popcorn. So that left me with the remainder of the money. And I, I gorged myself on movie theater candy to the point that I was sick. And my, my dad picking me up from the movie. And I was on the full, you know, you get that movie high when you come out where you like, you're still in that universe, even though you're not in the movie anymore. Yeah. You kind of want to be that guy. You want to be part of that. So I'm walking out as though I got the cool shoes. I'm walking around, strutting around like I'm Marty McFly in the future. And my dad goes, where's my change? I go, what change? <laughs> he goes, you spent $20 on candy? Now this is 1989. Is that right? Oh, uh, uh, oh the second the, one. The second one, yes, 89. Yes. Yeah, $20 went a long way at the theater back then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember being so so sick, but just on such a high, a rush from not only a lot of licorice, but also from the movie. 
<laughs> I, that just that story always. I just remember his face. You spent twenty dollars on candy. Oh yeah, I sure did. And that was that was a great movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just this entire series, like I said, it it's up there with with the great all time trilogies, and it's one of those movies that as we're getting all of these uh, all of these reboots and later year sequels uh, rolling through Hollywood right now. And, and the eighties is the hot, the hot decade to reappropriate franchises. I, I, I see no way of that happening with back to the future, which is a relief. It feels safe to me. Uh, I don't think that you have to worry about them making the 30 years later sequel or what have 20 years later sequel or, or rebooting the franchise with Zac Efron in the Marty McFly role or anything, you know, something crazy like that. It feels like it's complete. It told a story that, that was just incredible. Um, it's one of the, the other thing that I loved about the back to the future franchise as a whole was it was for me, it was the first one that I remember that they did the uh, rollout of the second and third one. So quickly, like shoot them together roll them out within six months. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, because um, after part two, they even reveal like a bit of a teaser of right. what happens in three, and you get to see, oh, my God, they're going to the Old West. That blew my mind. Yes. When it's like, wait, and then and then the, it's coming when? Like, I don't have to wait three, four, five years for it? This is incredible. Um, yeah. But the, I think the best part about the franchise, though, is that you can, yes, it tells a great grand story of the all three movies tied together great tie-ins great throwbacks great great looks back at everything but standalone movies if you just want to watch the first one it is an amazing it's a great story complete from beginning to end and of course they all kind of put a little a little tie at the end to tie it over to the next film but you know the the classic where we're going we don't need roads that blew my mind too and then with the first one, when that when the, it lifted up in the air, the tires folded up. Like, whoa, what? That's rad. But as a whole, they're just great movies that you can just watch beginning to end. And it's great. I, I just love Back to the Future, man. 30 years, unbelievable. That makes me feel old, though. Yeah, you know, that's <laughs> one heck of a you know joke to end part one. You know, when, when they had no plans to make two or three, like, let's just make this fly and end it. Like, what? <laughs> Yeah. You know, but I I really like what you said about um about part three, and it's kind of interesting because uh, Back to the Future three the story kind of centers around Doc a, a little bit more, mm-hmm. and it uh, it reminds me very much of the uh, sequel to Karate Kid where it's almost you know Mr Miyagi's story, right? So that's why I've kind of always liked it because it was a little bit different, so a little bit of a you know fresh of breath there. You know, not so much Marty, but even the first movie, you know, it's very debatable. People are like, well, it's, it's George's movie because Marty doesn't change. Mm-hmm. You, you know, is, is George the one who over, overcomes? No, there's you're absolutely right, though. And I think that's why as a kid, maybe I didn't care for three as much because it wasn't the Marty McFly story that two had. Two had made him so cool. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to be Marty McFly. And it just and so three, when it focuses on Doc Brown as a kid, I was like, oh, focusing on the old guy. And now rewatching it all these years later, I appreciate it so much more. And it's such a great story and a great capper for the franchise. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, the first one, though, is just filled with so many iconic scenes, right? I mean, everything from the 
I, it's just, just there's so much from from the initial op- the initial opening with Marty, you know, firing up the guitar to the the enchantment under the sea dance and him up on stage, you know, playing some Chuck Berry and just and there's so many scenes. My my favorite scene from in all the movies and it happens it repeats itself in all the movies though is every time that marty hears mcfly said and he does that look over his shoulder you know we see it in the diner in the first one we see it you know it's it's always with one of the tannins mcfly and he thinks oh they're on to me and it's always a misunderstanding a mistaken identity what have you but I always love that where he looks over his shoulder, this look of trepidation, of confusion and fear in his face. I love it. I, he plays it so well. And, it, and it's always a great introduction to who's the new bully in this movie? Who's the new bad guy that the McFlies are dealing with through eons of time? Uh, those, those are fun. But it, 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 the first one, there's just there's so much. And I mean, we didn't didn't even talk about uh, Leah Thompson. You know, I didn't even mention her. Yeah. <laughs> You know why, but um, yeah, Leah Thompson plays it great uh, in, in the ultimate creep fest of being the mom who wants her son. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just man, I love that. I love that first movie so much. It's it's great. Did you have any um, stories where, like, when you were a kid, you used to role play Back to the Future, and whether in school or with your friends at home? Did you ever like build? Um, you know, use cardboard boxes for it to be the DeLorean in the living room. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, when I was a kid, our picnic table was my car. Um, our picnic table outside, you would climb underneath it and sit in there. And that was that was the General Lee. It was also Kit. <laughs> and, and it was the DeLorean. It served many purposes, this picnic table. And uh, you would, if you were, if it was DeLorean time, you would take the <laughs> you would take the cardboard box with the flux capacitor drawn on it and put that behind you. Now instant DeLorean, nice. right? That's all it took is to take the cardboard box that I had that I had taken a, a big highlighter marker and drawn the flux capacitor on, uh, set that behind me. Now we're in the DeLorean and we're flying. And uh, the only issue was with the picnic table, the doors, the gull wing doors wouldn't quite work the way I wanted them to. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, that was that was uh, man, that's embarrassing. <laughs> I was sitting under the picnic table uh, by myself with cardboard uh, boxes as a door. Yeah, what, it, whatever works. Mm-hmm. But you get you get by, and yeah, it was that was it. Uh, uh, yeah, I I always loved it. I remember trying to build the DeLorean out of Legos when I was a kid, and I've always been a horrible. Uh, I, my spatial thinking with Legos isn't up to par with uh, with others, and so all of my attempts to build a uh, DeLorean out of Legos would result in just a a gray box with wheels on it, and uh, epic fail. But I remember going uh, when I was ten years old, going to get getting the chance to go to Universal Studios for the first time, and actually getting to go down you know the main street of of Back to the Future and just. Being just amazed by that, you know, 10 years old and like, no, this is really it. Like, this is so unbelievable. Getting to actually sit in the DeLorean at Universal. That was cool. I still have the, I posted the picture on my Facebook page recently of me sitting in there and just like, this is incredible. 
this is the this is the the, the car you know it, that's just that's one of those cool things that you never forget is actually getting onto quote unquote the set you know yeah and really. seeing the the clock tower during the tour yeah yeah yeah, yeah. all that they still do that I haven't been out there in eight eight nine ten years yeah it's been a long time and I know that uh, Universal had that um, you know lot fire right or whatever right. it was and and I, I think they tried to rebuild it but I mean. There's all these things that happen around the world. I wish I can attend. I mean, I don't know if you about that. Uh, know about that big event in London, where they um, recreate the um, the movie live. You know, around an audience um, in front of a screen where they're actually playing the movie. So, really? Yeah. So whatever's happening on the screen, they got you know actors to reenact in front of that screen and around <laughs> the people. And I think the clips that I saw, it was the 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 chase scene with the Libyans. So they got the van chasing oh, around, nice. you know, somebody driving the DeLorean, and that just looks so awesome. If I can just get like footage from that event, I'd be happy. Like I don't need to drive uh, fly to London to go watch it. But <laughs> I just I want to see something like that, and. It's just, it's just crazy and kind of back to like you you know talking about your your Legos. It's it's so cool now that you can buy the Legos specifically to build a DeLorean. Right. But do you ever wonder why it seems like Back to the Future like for as big as it was, how come there was not like a flux of toys? You know, growing up, like I don't remember a whole lot of DeLorean models. You know, mm-hmm. growing up now they're all different size and scales. Um, but yeah. how come there was no, you know, Marty that's a really, Ken yeah, doll that, where you could interchange his clothes? That's a really good question because, I mean, the 80s, 85, it was in the height of the toy boom, the crossover movie TV to toy boom, right? And yeah. Yeah, you'd think that it would lend itself naturally to it. I, I wonder if it's because they just missed the boat with the first movie and then by then it was too late. Hmm. Like they weren't expecting. But it seemed like at the time, I mean, they were literally making – shows based on toys i mean it was it was to that level where it was just like we'll make the toy then we'll make a show around it so you'd think that the delorean would be something with with the the especially the love of 1980s vehicles you know with with kit and the general lee and all of these vehicles like that that you think that that would the ghost exactly you think that would lend itself naturally to just like kids are gonna love this let's make it and yeah you're right that's why i was trying to make square square boxes out of legos into the delorean because because there wasn't really any and it wasn't until just last year when they had those reanimators versions you know of the the kenner uh kenner star wars figure style um versions of these that i i saw those hanging on the peg hooks at at target and was like what is this it's the entire run of back to the future uh, <laughs> as though i were a kid in the same style as i would no oh, i gotta get these and that's what was missing that's exactly what was missing that's a good point man because you know, you'd think that that would just be a natural fit at that time you think so and, and i've all, i was always jealous i mean because um turtles you know, surprisingly, turtles. Um, I had a lot of variations of them, and then the the Ninja Turtles, and um, I don't know, a lot of other uh, examples kind of escape me right now. But there was a there was a time they always had like play structures of mm-hmm. you know like the sewer or you know Batman's cave, you know where you can play right. your toys on. How come there was no Hill Valley Square? <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> at, at least a clock tower. Give me a clock tower. Yeah. You know something, and yeah, the the 
what's the containment unit? Is that what it's called for Ghostbusters? The containment yeah. unit, you yep. know, for something as simple as that, because you you open that, you know, that trap up. You, you nothing really goes inside it, you know, a la a, a ghost. But you could have made like a toy flux capac- capacitor that that glowed. You know, that could have been a nightlight or something like that. So oh I, yeah, I always just wondered like how why all of a sudden now you know twenty five. 30 years later that they start to make, you know, replicas of, you know, a $300 flux capacitor if you can buy. Like, okay, well, these are awesome because they're like replicas, but yeah. where was this in my childhood when they were, you know, made by plastic, you know, and yeah. operated by batteries? I mean, you you mentioned uh, Ninja Turtles, the real Ghostbusters TV show. I mean, they, they took a movie, made a cartoon out of it, and a ton of different toys on that. I remember that wanting all of that stuff and you, yeah this would be the same thing i could see doc brown with like blue hair you know because that's what they do when they <laughs> turn right. into cartoons um but yeah that, i mean man the flex capacitor nightlight come on yeah. that's that's a must-have now um, that, it, that's like the only now yeah now you have me thinking it's like the one big franchise from the 80s that they really didn't capitalize at all i can't remember having anything that was of any any note that was Back to the Future when I was a kid, you you could actually you could have had um, like a limited edition skateboard that that the board was the hoverboard, oh, you know that's and, 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 and maybe make the wheels glow, you know, like they could yeah. have added LEDs to the wheels or something like that. Like I I wonder if it was a thing where because it did come out with an animated series, but it centered around Jules and Vern. Yeah, I wonder yeah. maybe if that was a thing because you, you, the real Ghostbusters went on for years. And Ninja <laughs> right. Turtles, you know, came out with three or four different versions in the past few decades. So I wonder maybe if that's a thing because you still don't have the Back to the Future animated series released on DVDs or anything. You could only get them on like VHS off eBay. Yeah, that that is strange, man. That is strange. I think the only thing I can remember ever owning that was Back to the Future. I remember getting a hat, and I might have even got the hat at Universal Studios. Like you've got yeah. to go to the location to get it. The tie dye one, the yeah, the that's hat. that's all I can think of. Missed opportunity right there. See, man, all those years ago, you could have cashed it if you had this idea right now. Well, if I had a DeLorean, I can go back and. <laughs> mm, if only there was, you know, there was a guy uh, growing up when I when I was in my teenage years. Um, there was a guy that lived right around the corner from me that had a DeLorean, silver DeLorean. Um, and he would have it every summer. He would park it out on his lawn. He would open up the gull wings and he would put a for sale sign on it. And he was constantly trying to sell this thing because realistically they're terrible cars, right? (laughs) They are money pits of cars. Um, and so every summer he would try and sell it, but you know, inevitably we would always ride bikes by and be like, just checking it out, you know, and the interior was just awful and it needed a lot of work, but he wanted a ridiculous amount of money for it. Like double blue book because it was a DeLorean and because he knew that anyone that was going to buy it was going to try and turn it into the back to the future car. Right. That's why you buy one. Right. And he had that thing for, I don't know, five years. It seemed like, I think it was five summers. Every summer he'd roll that thing out into the front yard, pop the goings, (laughs) trying to sell it like, man, just unbelievable. And and I, I don't even know if he ever did, if he moved with the thing, but yeah, that was that was something that I always like. One of these days, man, that's going to be my car. Until I found out just how notoriously terrible of a driving vehicle they are, 
Yeah. Yeah. You're not driving it into the next town though. because It's not going to make it. Yeah. I still want one. I don't care. I do too. (laughs) Like now, now I'm like, Oh, I could probably, I could probably afford that. Where is that guy? Yeah. Um, I remember I have a story very similar to that. Um, I used to, uh, when I was in middle school, it was only seventh and eighth grade. So I was there for two years. So for two years, um, the bus stop that I went to, to go to school, right in front uh, or right there at the corner was a DeLorean, a house that owned a DeLorean. So for two years going to school, I would see this DeLorean almost every day. And it was just like, it's right here and I can't have it. And I I think that's when I made, um, uh, you know, my mind up that once, when I get married, I will drive off in a DeLorean on my wedding day. Hasn't (laughs) happened. Never happened. Uh, But I don't know. Maybe to be fair to my wife, we we, we were, uh, we got married in Hawaii and that would have been hard to come by. But, uh, you know, it is definitely. You get the DeLorean shipped to Hawaii. That won't cost much. No, no, not at all. Because, you know, destination weddings aren't very expensive at all (laughs) either. But, you know, it's definitely on my bucket list. I mean, it took me over three decades to um, take a selfie in a DeLorean. So, Mm. you know, I was... Oh gosh, that that was an amazing thing for me. You know, you you touched on a story where you got to sit in the vehicle at Universal Studios. I don't right. remember that ever being a thing for me, as um as young as I can remember. Um, I w- it was always kind of roped off, and you know the door would be open and you you couldn't sit in it. And maybe it's because of the time, like when when you were able to do that, maybe it was still fresh and brand new. And yeah, I, it was nineteen eighty seven when well, I went there. There you go. So now people are like, well, no, we don't want people sitting in here. We want to you know preserve the car as much as we can. So by the time I was able to even think about it, like yeah, that, that's not even a thing anymore. So <laughs> it was just last year's. Uh, Portland Wizard World Comic Con that I was able to actually sit in my very first DeLorean and not only that they said yeah you could take a picture and I'm go I'm gonna take a selfie because who can say that <laughs> right you know so that that was uh my story with that yeah we had that as well when uh Comic Con came here to Madison we had the uh the whole DeLorean and hoverboard and whole nine the whole setup come in like oh, it's still great like all these years later I still was like, check that out. And it was like the center of attraction at our Comic-Con here. Yeah. You know, they had it right right in the middle. And uh, it was just a, a traffic jam around it as everyone wanted to uh, either get in it or get a free selfie standing in front of it before the guy chased you off. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> or pay the $20 to stand on the hoverboard or what have you. You know, uh, one of the things I did notice um, both years, because we went to – the Wizard World back-to-back, and we went earlier this year as well. This year, we didn't sit inside the... Well, we got a picture with the DeLorean. I think... No, I don't think we sat in it this year, but we, we definitely took a picture with it again. Though right. The one thing I have always noticed, any vehicle that you see, whether it was Fast and the Fierce vehicles displayed, what have you, everyone walks by and they look at it, they take pictures, but the DeLorean, anytime I was standing there looking at it myself, I would watch people walking up, and the first thing they do is they stand there, cross their arms, and nod their head. Like, yes, <laughs> yes, I am standing in front of a DeLorean. You know, like the other cars, nothing. They're like, hey, the, you know, this muscle car is beautiful. Hey, there's kit. But the DeLorean, they're always nodding their head like, yes. And that's just amazing to see. Like, it never fails. I always see somebody doing that. That is too funny. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. We had we had the DeLorean and we had the uh, 1966 Batmobile. Oh, um, nice. nice. Yeah, those two, those two were the uh, – it was kind of funny because they were very close to each other. It was like the little car area. Mm-hmm. So these two were close to each other. So it was a mess to get through those two areas. 
and you had similar but also kind of different crowds like you would all definitely have a crossover but there was definitely the the 30 something year old crowd around the DeLorean like this is it and then there was the older crowd uh checking out the Batmobile intently but you know there was ultimately a big crossover but yeah it was great and uh those were two big peaks of interest and uh it was funny because the guy at the Batmobile would do everything he could to ruin a selfie for you if you were trying to not pay the twenty dollars to come on the other side of the rope, you know, and and, and you could sit in it and they'll well, take a picture. You know, we'll take our picture, kind of like if you go to see Santa at the mall. Some of the places won't let you take a picture of your kids sitting on Santa's lap. You have to have, pay them to take the picture, right? And so he was doing the same thing. Like he would, he would, he was photo bombing people, getting in the way of their shots. Like, wow, <laughs> this guy's really hustling for this twenty dollars. Right, it's pretty crazy. The guy, the guy at the Back to the Future was a little more lenient, but yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. That is funny. I mean, that's almost like some of the celebrities too. They're like, yeah, no, no photos here. You have to Uh-oh. come see me to get a, a picture. Weird. Yeah, yeah. I, I dealt with that with uh, Mr. Ernie Hudson. Uh, I don't think it was him, but I think it was more of his rep that did not want, would not let us do a uh, a bumper for the uh, uh, Jason's podcast. Show me the Winston. Uh, so I guess I just want to wish a happy 30th birthday to Back to the Future, uh, a movie that has aged much like a fine wine, never gets old, only gets better, and uh, a movie that you can watch anytime, show it to your kids, show it to your friends, Everyone loves it. If you don't like Back to the Future, there's something wrong with you, not with the movie. So again, a happy 30th birthday to everything Back to the Future. What's up, guys? This is Mike McMasunas from STL Podcast, Tooth Delay Podcast, the best podcast in iTunes that you should be listening to every single day of your life. Screw this Hydrate Level 4 crap. Oh, man. What's up, Peter? How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing pretty good. Thank you for coming on to the show today. (laughs) Yeah. Good times. All right, sir. Uh, you you are joining me today for yes. the thirtieth anniversary of Back to the Future. Man, I'm uh, wow! One of one of the best movies in the world. Yes, uh, and 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 a lot of people would say it is the best movie in the world. Um, but what does it mean to you? And like, why is it one of your favorites? Well, I wouldn't go to say it's the best movie in the whole entire world. That's the crowd of kids, son. I'm sorry. Okay. No problem. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no. Yeah, Karate Kid's my favorite movie of all time. But Back to the Future came out in the easily the greatest year of film, 1985. Uh, geez, 1984, 1985 are the two greatest years of movies, period. Uh, this has been debated numerous times by Jameson Rabbit and myself on Sweep Delay Podcast. Uh, Back to the Future is in 1985, and reason why it's one of the best movies ever is because of the fact it still holds up to this day. It's a movie that, from its time period, is very... uh, It doesn't get dated as much as other movies do from that time period. Uh, Even though you're dealing in the year 1985, and I think the fact of you don't spend a whole lot of time in 1985, you spend most of it in 1955, really... People can't sit there and say, well, that doesn't happen in 1955 because most people watching this weren't alive in 1955. So they can pretty much get away with anything they want in that time period. Obviously, they have to have a certain look, a certain agenda, but they could pretty much have free reign to do whatever they wanted and people would believe it. 
uh, obviously part two is a little bit different because you have to deal in the future. But uh, one is just fantastic because of uh, the special effects still look really good today. I mean, you and I, we did, we did a commentary track on it simply because trying to review the movie was was going to be hard because there's so much to talk about. So that's why we decided to do a commentary track on the first movie because the easiest way to review the movie is to go from it every single second of the movie and, mm-hmm. and point things out, uh, which I had a lot of fun on that episode. And uh, we're supposed to finish two and three, but I don't know why you haven't come on to finish those. So, um, But wh- where would you rank this with uh, some of the trilogies? You know, you're a a huge fan of Karate Kid, and I consider that a trilogy because the Hillary Swank stuff—that's that's not that's not Daniel LaRusso, so yeah. I don't I don't count that. Yeah, when but, I think when I think of trilogies, surprisingly, Karate Kid is not one of the ones that I go to. Um, the Dark Knight trilogy is my favorite trilogy of all time. Uh, nobody understands my Batman fan, you know, fandom. Uh, very few people do. So uh, I've I've loved Batman since I was three years old uh, before I could even talk. So the fact that I got the movies I always wanted to see on the screen because Batman 89 was fantastic. But Batman was killing folks in that movie. And even as a little kid, I knew that that was wrong. And Batman Returns, let's not even talk about the travesties that Batman does in that movie. So the Dark Knight trilogy got all those things right. But now I'm definitely uh, wanting the fantastical side of Batman, the the comic book side of Batman, the the non-realistic version of Batman. So the Dark Knight trilogy will always be my favorite trilogy of all time. Back to the Future is actually number two. Uh, Karate Kid, uh, one and two are solid, and three is such a train wreck that uh, the the Karate Kid on its own is is my all-time favorite movie of all time, always has, always will be. And, And I very rarely watch two and I very rarely watch three. So in regards to trilogies, that's one of the ones that doesn't come up a lot, surprisingly. But Back to the Future is my second favorite, above Star Wars, uh, for sure. Star Wars fits in like three or four, if I remember correctly. But Back to the Future is two, awesome. in regards to my favorite uh, trilogy of all time. So, uh, and, and why is that is because... Uh, it's solid, you know, from uh, three for the longest time I had troubles with. Uh, I just couldn't love that movie, uh, but I liked it. There were things in three that I was that I really enjoyed, especially the ending, the way they wrap things up. Uh, I've, I'm just not a Western guy. I've never, ever, ever liked Westerns in my whole entire life. I still to this day don't. I think Back to the Future 3 is the only Western that I would make myself sit down and watch. Because I hate westerns. I don't know what it is. I just hate them. Oh, I can't stand them. So the fact that part three took place in the Wild West, when I found that out at the end of part two, really pissed me off. I was like, I am not going to want to watch part three. So three is the is the western that I've seen the most in my entire life. And there's there's bits and pieces that I really enjoy in part three, but it's definitely my least favorite of the trilogy. Now. When you get to Dark Knight trilogy, people always rip on the Dark Knight Rises. Me personally, it's my favorite of the trilogy, and and some people think I'm on crack for that. Uh, I have my reasons. Uh, I I spent two hours explaining my reasons. So if you want to hear my reasons, go listen to that episode. Uh, but Back to the Future Three is different than the Dark Knight Rises because there's a lot of there's a 
big difference between the part three of dark of the dark Knight trilogy and part three of back to the future. Uh, there's a lot of great, like dark Knight rises takes a lot from part one, but back to the future three does a lot from part one and two, uh, very little of part two is in dark Knight rises, but with back to the future three, there's a lot of part two and there's a lot of part one in part three. And that's what makes it more of a solid story. Uh, if that makes sense. So, I mean, if the Dark Knight trilogy didn't exist and I didn't love Batman, Back to the Future would be my favorite. But I can definitely agree that Back to the Future from beginning to end is more solid than the Dark Knight trilogy and more fun. But Dark Knight trilogy, because of my love of Batman and how perfect it was, that's why it ranks above Bat- uh, Back to the Future. Um, well, who are some of your favorite characters? I know... Um... I don't think anybody would dispute, you know, Doc and Marty being like the best ones of the movie. But are there any other characters that that would be that you would consider a favorite? Uh, there, there are a lot. Um, I mean, starting with part one, gosh, uh, obviously Leah Thompson. Uh, I I love Leah Thompson. Jennifer, the original Jennifer, was great. George McFly was always annoying to me, and the older I got, the more I related to him, the more I found them funny. I love the guys, uh, the big, the big black guys. Those guys are fantastic. There's really not one character I don't like. Mister Strickland uh, was always fantastic. I love him even more part two because he's gonna blow Marty's nuts off. <laughs> so uh, I, there's not one character I, I love. The guy in the lunchroom who throws the stupid flyer and does that cackly laugh. I mean, I love everybody in the first movie. There's not one character where I'm just like, uh, even even Lorraine's stupid friends that have the dumbass look on their face when George is doing his his reading from the from the notebook. They give him that that dirty look, but even those aren't annoying, you know. Uh, so everybody in Back to the Future one is solid. Back to uh, Back to the Future two, uh, the little kids, of course, the little Elijah Wood uh, is is funny. I, I I think I don't like the Michael Jackson Max Headroom. It looks mm-hmm. really terrible. Yeah. Uh, I think when when we we're going to talk commentary, that would be one of the things that I'd be like, that don't even look like Michael Jackson. That don't even look like the bad Michael Jackson who turned white. That looks terrible. Uh, so I think that's probably one of the only characters I don't like in part two. I love Mr. Strickland. He's fantastic in part two. We get very little of him. Uh, I'm a huge Elizabeth Shue fan, and you and I have to discuss our differences between the original Jennifer and Elizabeth Shue, which we didn't get a chance to do. So mm-hmm. we'll have to duke it out, I guess, when we do the commentary track for part two, because I still don't know your issues with her, but that's cool. We'll keep it fresh. We'll keep it fresh for that episode. Uh, but uh, I, even though I love Elizabeth Shue, and and I dig her performance in two and three. I still would have liked to have Jennifer because there was something about her and her chemistry with with Marty in the first movie was like a ten, and the chemistry with Elizabeth Shue and Marty in two and three is about a seven and a half. That's mm-hmm. uh, but that doesn't mean I don't like her. You know who I, I uh, who's one of my favorites that nobody's mentioned yet, but I, I even I forget who uh, who it is, but. Mayor Goldie Wilson. Yeah, he's he's fun and, and he's in uh he's in one and two. Uh nine ninety nine, nine ninety nine, ninety five. Uh I, I love that when he's not talking about the skyline in part two. Uh it's fantastic. Of course he's not in part three though, which really sucks. Um so part three though, surprisingly, uh Doc Brown's woman is my least favorite character in part three. 
Claire. Yeah. Yep. Claire. She's my least favorite. And I don't know if it's because of parenthood, because I hate her in parenthood. Uh, I've just I've never been a fan of her in general. Uh, I I love the fact that Doc Brown gets a love story. I love that part three is centered around Doc. I like her, but I don't. I'm not in love with her like I am all the other characters in the first two movies. Part two is my favorite of the whole entire series. Always has, always will be. There's there's so much going on in part two and so much that they get right. I there's three different years you deal with: 1985, 1955, 2015. You get the alternate timelines. It's it's a it's a great movie because it's comedy, it's drama, it's action, it's horror. There's horror elements in Back to the Future too, which I really dig. It took a lot of balls to do that. So part two is my favorite, hands down. Even though part one is is iconic, it's five star film. Part two is my favorite because there's so much going on, but it's not a train wreck of a movie that any other movie trying to pull all that stuff would be a train wreck. And and the stuff where they reshoot, the only screw up in that movie is Johnny Be Good because I know that scene hands down in my sleep. And there's an additional guitar part that, that uh, Michael J. Fox does in part two that he never did in the original that always annoys me. I'm like, dude, he never did that in the original. Uh, That's the only, that's one of the only scenes in part two that annoys me to no end where I'm just like, stick, stick with your original plan. Outside of that though, it's fantastic. The Marty, me and Marty all on the same screen. Cause usually you can tell there's a blue screen there, but the special effects, man, back in that day were like Jurassic park style where it was like perfect. So you know, in part two is actually the 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 real true time traveling movie because one and three they only go to like one time period basically. Yeah. You know, so um, one most of it was in fifty five. Yeah, you know, we start off in eighty five, but like you said, in part two you go to twenty fifteen, you go back to eighty five, which is an alternate timeline because of you know the the events changing, and then you go back to fifty five and back to eighty five again. So yeah. a lot of time traveling in the in the second one. But based on the title, though, you could only have one time period in the original Back to the Future. You have to be in the past to get to the future. So part one isn't really supposed to be a time traveling movie. Part two, you can break those rules. You can go bigger and better. So because of the title of the movie, it makes perfect sense why there's only one time period. And that's true, too, because originally before they went with Back to the Future 2, it was going to be called Paradox. So yeah. Um, more more time traveling related so I, yeah i completely get that um do you have any favorite scenes i mean i know it's, it's really hard to pick something out from from the entire movie i i guess the best way number one top of the list johnny be good uh number one because michael j fox was the guitar player uh he he did that scene which was fantastic now the voice i actually always thought was michael j fox but if you've ever watched light of day with joan jett Michael J. Fox legitimately sings in that movie, and his voice is very different than it is uh, in Back to the Future. So somebody else did the singing. But uh, Johnny B. Good has always been my favorite scene of Back to the Future Part One. Uh, of course, the ending of Part uh, the the ending is fantastic. The I mean, every scene is great uh, in in Part One. Um, gosh. Uh, there's not. That's why that movie is perfect. There's not one scene that you can take out. In fact, if if you take any scene out of part one, it would screw things up. It's so tight, and there's a reason why that script is in college in script 101. That's why they use that script because of how tight it is, how flawless it is. 
you you have to be a rocket scientist to to basically point flaws in that script. Uh, part two, there's a lot of people who dislike part two. I think there's more people that dig part two than dislike part two. Um, for me, there's so many fantastic scenes. I, I just I love the movie in a movie kind of thing where it's the it's replaying part one, but from a different perspective and, and things like that. I always enjoy that kind of storytelling. It's good times. And when it's done right, the only scenes where I can point in part two, which in part one, there's not a scene where I can point and be like, that looks bad. In part two, when Marty's uh, trying to get away from Biff in in that, uh, uh, that not I don't want to say driveway, but in, in the highway, uh, you know, the tunnel scene. Right. Uh, where he's on the hoverboard, you can see the wires clearly, right. <laughs> uh, which is terrible. Uh, that that really sucks, and it takes you out of the movie. But when when you can do fantastic special effects in 2015, but you're in a tunnel and you can't get rid of the the, the stupid wires, that that's kind of lazy to me. Uh, so part one, uh, part one's more solid in regards to there's no mistakes. Part two, even though it's my favorite, there's mistakes. Part three is my least favorite simply because of the fact I hate Westerns. But that tells you how good part three is if a person who hates Westerns will still watch it and enjoy the movie because of how my love for the characters. I, I dig the whole switching of lines, which was the first time we had in the series where Marty does Doc's line, Doc does Marty's line. Um, I, I dig the... Uh, I. Buford Tannen, man, I mean, he is the ultimate badass. He's because Biff is just a a dumb bully, but Buford was just a killer. So I think that's one of the things. I think he's my favorite character in Part Three because he's different than he was in the first two movies, even though he's clearly the same guy. So I think my favorite character is actually Buford Tannen in Part Three. Uh, I dig ZZ Top up in there. That's good times. I love the ending though, man. Just the 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 thing that always drove me crazy, and I still to this day do not know how it happened, is uh, Marty goes back, and Doc is on the hoverboard, and we clearly have established in the movie it's going to take thirty years before he can be able to build a time machine. But yeah, he looks really good when he comes back and made that train into a time machine. How did he pull it off? They never explain that. You just got to figure it out yourself. That. That's something I still to this day have not figured out. Well, all the best parts of man in Japan. Maybe then he traveled over there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. Travel on a horse to Japan? I mean, come on. It's like uh, that. That's it's it's something that I I enjoy for the fact of you got to think hard, but it's also like, well, is that a flaw in the story? I don't know. You it's, know, it, it kind of is. I mean, you make a very good point. Um, but how old are Jules and Vern? You know, so maybe some in. Somewhere in that time frame, he came up with something, some kind of substitute that that would you know make it okay. Yeah, because th there's those lines that show when the when the uh, time machine goes, and I was always like, well, and then there's the when the train explodes, there's the the sound of when you go back in time that the the three lightning bolts right th that happen at the bottom of the cliff, and I was like, well, was Doc somehow because he was close enough to the time machine? Did he somehow get transported to another time? That that's how I've always, always done the story. Is that because Doc and uh, and Claire were so close to the time machine when it took off that the residual effect 
made them travel in time as humans somewhere. You know, I don't. I I think that's one thing that nobody's really mentioned uh, um, uh, so far was the sound effects. You know, like the I've never really heard it referred to as the three lightning bolts, but that makes sense. Like I I don't know what else to call it. But just that sound alone, man, that's that's an awesome sound. It, it is. Every time you travel, you get the you get the lightning bolt sound. Uh, it's the best way that I can describe it. Yeah. It's, it's just a huge lightning bolt, uh, but it's like three. Yeah, because like with Star Wars, people associate the lightsaber sound with yeah. that. You know, when you think back to the future, you don't really think of sounds, but there's plenty. You know, you, you hear a flux capacitor, which there's nothing sexy with that, but it has a distinctive sound exactly and then the the actual you know time traveling and you know i, I guess it's not it's nothing that you can really use in other movies but with lightsabers people parody that all the time you know so i i get that but yeah the the, the sound of the actual time traveling that's it's very iconic but nobody ever talks about it yeah yeah and that's the score everything makes it work the score the sound effects uh the characters i mean obviously you know, the reason why part one is still is still so timeless is because everything works from beginning to end. You're instantly from the moment that Marty hits that guitar and goes flying and you start cracking up laughing. You instantly love Marty, even though he hasn't said a single word in the whole entire movie. Well, except Doc, Doc. Oh, geez. You know, Einstein here, boy. Woo. You know, and, and then he does. The, oh, God, what's that smell? You know, really. Marty hits that guitar, goes flying in the speakers, and you're just, you bust up laughing. First time I saw it, I was like, I was rolling. And he's just like, whoa, rock and roll. Instantly you love the guy. And then they top it all off by making him freaking ride a, a car on a skateboard. You instantly fall in love with Marty before the story even gets rolling. So they did a fantastic job there. Uh, you love Doc Brown because of his face. I mean, the stupid expressions that he makes are <laughs> are so fantastic. The guy never has to say a, a single thing. He's like The Rock. The Rock never has to beat you up in the ring. He just has to say stuff to you. Doc Brown just has to look, just has to have a face and don't have to do anything for you to love the guy. So th that's kind of why Doc Brown is amazing is just his face. Everything that takes place with the big time trying to explain the DeLorean and having Einstein going to the future and then the Libyans show up and he looks at the gun a certain way. Uh, just, man, especially about breeding pine trees. And then he looks at the camera and looks down and it's just it's fantastic. And then he walks off screen. <laughs> yeah, and then he walks off screen. And, of course, in uh, in our commentary, we uh, we we caught the the only flaw I thought of the movie when Marty had the camera down and he's like, no, no, keep rolling, keep rolling. The sucker's electrical, which Marty's camera was down. So there's no way he could have got uh, Doc Brown face. But yet he has his face later on in 1955 when he's watching himself. But it, it's such a minor, minor thing. It's really the only mistake that I found in the movie. So, yeah. And this is, yeah, it's just a technical one, too. So, yeah. And, and then, of course. I had a big complaint about the ending, about the 12, you know, at, at the 10, 10.04 p.m., uh, exactly what second did the, the, the lightning hit. But, you know, as you said, if I remember correctly, you just got to give the movie that, you know, you can't be like 10.04 at 15 seconds or 10.04 at 22 seconds. You know, right. it, it was exactly, 
you know, the way you had to look at it is kind of rewrite the movie in your head and be like, somebody witnessed that at the stroke of 10.04, precisely the lightning hit. Somebody remembered that, wrote it down, and it just kind of, kind of over the years, just, hey, guess what? This actually happened precisely at 10.04.00. So yeah. that's yeah. kind of how you have to rewrite it a little bit. Right, because the flyer says so, you know, precisely 10.04 p.m. So, yeah, somebody was probably around, and, you know, the, there, there's gears in the clock, right? So it, it stops the clock right then and there, so they, they would know, you know, where, yeah. where it's at on the second. But I think I might have said also in the commentary, and, you know, I'm no electrician, but I I would accept that the um, the clock, the, the pole, acted as a conductor and still harnessed, you know, like some electricity, that was able to, you know, go down the wires and, you know, put the 1.21 gigawatts into the, you know, time circuits and, and what have you to, to give it that, you know, to, to still work. So, I don't know. I, I, I will accept all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And as you said, rewrite your, your own. Um, what about some of your favorite quotes? Are, are there any uh, that you use like daily? Oh, or, yeah. Uh, when this, when this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious. Yeah, that, right. that's that's my favorite line of the whole entire movie. Oh, nice. uh, I said that as a little kid. The first time I watched the movie, I instantly went going forward saying that line and then being caught by my mother. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that is by far my favorite line of the whole entire movie. Hands down out of the whole series. That's my favorite line. Uh, I mean, there there's so many, um, but instantly it comes to mind when this baby hits 88 miles per hour. You're going to see some serious, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, what about some stories growing up? Like, did, um... well, well, I'll tell you a story that I already said on the commentary. Uh, my sister, uh, who was just fantastic for me as as a little kid um uh, she actually introduced me to back to the future uh, i would always uh like once a month i would sleep over a house we'd have a movie night and i'd watch the karate kid and stuff and i was one of those kids where i never wanted to watch anything new i was always like no i stick with what i know so like my mom forced me to watch the karate kid i'm like i don't want to watch this stupid movie and then i watched it and obviously uh, look where I am today. But Back to the Future was one my sister made me watch. But uh, after I watched the movie and she knew how much I loved it, uh, these video stores would give away these bags. Uh, there, and it was like uh, if you've gone to Aldi's, you know, back in the day, they they would snap. You got one handle, and then there's two, a piece of plastic at the top, and uh, you you press down the piece of plastic. There's like four different slots. And it closes the bag. So the best way I can you know, relate that would be Aldi's. If you've gone to Aldi's, those are the kind of bags they have. And I had Back to the Future once. The best thing was my sister came over to my house and she had a six-foot-tall video store display of Back to the Future. And she brought it in my room. And my room was probably the size of a bathroom. So it was so big it was hanging outside the door. A month later, my mom threw it out. Um, have I forgiven my mother for this yet? That is, uh, that is to be determined. Um, I, I can only imagine the value of this di- video display, video store display, six foot tall, back to the future, 3D display. 
I mean, it was literally the car was outside. I mean, his foot, it was 3D, dude. I mean, it was the kind you put together. Right. But it was an actual blockbuster video. Oh, my God. It was amazing. I can only imagine how much money that thing would be worth. So, uh, unfortunately, that got thrown away. I had those Back to the Future bags, uh, and I don't know where they are. But I did get some legitimate Back to the Future uh, 3 posters that I still have, I think. I don't know. I think they might have got water damage when I moved, unfortunately. So all the cool Back to the Future crap that I've had has been destroyed, unfortunately. But, man, I'm telling you, I have had a gold mine in Back to the Future merchandise that literally would probably be worth thousands of bucks, but they're, it's gone now, and it really sucks. And do you have any other stories? To, to share? Well, I, I mean, in regards to stories, I mean, I still don't have it on Blu-ray yet, uh, which is kind of funny. I'm a Blu-ray guy, and I've I've replaced so many movies on Blu-ray, uh, but yet Back to the Future is one that I haven't got my hands on yet. Um, oh, boy, I'm telling. I've had I've had numerous models of the DeLorean that I've made uh, by hand. But I finally went and bought the die-cast version because, I mean, it's already made and it's it the doors open and the wheels go down yeah. like it's going to fly. So it's pretty awesome. So Yeah, I, I got the uh, the big um, uh, DeLorean from Part 2 that lights up and has sounds. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I actually, I think I think I got that for, for my birthday one year. Um, did you have you ever gone to Universal Studios, either Orlando or uh, Nope, that is the one. That's one place I've always wanted to go in my life. And I, I, my boss just went there last week, and I asked them if they still have Back to the Future, and he said no. Yeah, they got, they got rid of that. Yeah, long time ago, unfortunately. So, so you never got to experience the ride. No, my wife did, but never me. <laughs> oh, so. she she got to do that without you, huh? Yeah, before she met me, so. Yeah. Oh, that's too, but when you know it, it, once you get the Blu-ray, you can at least watch the videos that that they would play on the monitor. Oh, okay, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, you you actually might even be able to see it on YouTube if uh, if it was already released on the Blu-ray. It should already be available. So yeah, uh, I definitely dig uh, trying to watch Eric Stoltz be Marty McFly. That's been interesting. I I definitely have enjoyed that and can see that Michael J. Fox was the right choice. Uh, I think Back to the Future was the first commentary track that I that I burned on MP3 and threw on my iPod so I could listen to the commentary tracks and then the making of. And then I, that's when I, and then I continued. I think that was the first commentary I ever checked out was Back to the Future. So I learned a lot there. And there's actually two versions of the commentary where it's by the uh, guy who wrote it. Uh, and then the special effects guy, I think. So you get some really interesting stories from the commentary. Right. Yeah, I checked that out like way back when the DVDs came out. I haven't gone, gone back and listened, but I, I've even listened to it in like a in in French. <laughs> just nice. Just just to just to hear what it sounds like, you know, because I already know what they're saying. So I just uh, I watched it all in French. Um, the. Uh, I I was thinking uh, a different type of commentary when you first started bringing that up. But when I was a kid, I recorded the entire audio of the first Back to the Future movie onto cassette tape, and uh -huh. I would I would listen to that when I go to bed. Okay, so part one is your favorite of the series, correct? Uh, it's one big movie to me, one big saga. Um, 
I don't I don't have a least favorite. I just because I consider them all one big movie because they go right into each other and there's no time, um, you know, no time in between that we don't see. You know, they they You're all right. connect. So You're right. It takes place within a week. So yeah. yeah. And and uh unlike you, I, I actually enjoy Westerns and um I actually consider Back to the Future Three uh kinda like Karate Kid Two, where it's around Mr. Miyagi and his love interest. Exactly. You that, know. that that's one of the things why part three was so watchable for me is because of the fact of it's no longer Marty's story. It's now time for Doc to have a story, give him some character development. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoy, you know, in regards to like the shooting stuff, you know, I enjoy Marty being able to, to shoot stuff and the doc can dance and you learn so much about the doc that you didn't know before. Um, it's even the guys that, uh, uh, are with Buford are funny. Check out them moccasins, Nikkei, you know, <laughs> I mean, uh, it's very, it's a very enjoyable movie. Even though I hate westerns with a passion, it's it's so good. The whole Clint Eastwood thing, all the Clint Eastwood uh, references, the ending of the movie. A lot of people miss the Clint Eastwood drive, uh, which is just funny to me. I'm like, how can you not miss? How can you miss that? It's, it's right there when the DeLorean comes back. It says Clint Eastwood drive. It's like seriously, folks, come on. Well, that, that's that's the same thing as the Lone Pine thing. I know, man. It's crazy. Uh, and I dig, I dig the, I, I love the wrap up of the story. I really do. Uh, the thing I think I dig the most that I give it the most credit for is I, and I never know how they've pulled it off is how they're able to do the ending and the beginning at the same time. For example, uh, the beginning of, uh, the, the end of part two has the end of part one, but it's a, it's like they refilmed it and it looks identical to the first one. So I don't know if it's just a great camera shot where they play exactly the same footage of part one and then Marty just happens to come around the corner or if they reshot that because it was done so flawlessly, I can never tell. And I've never been able to find out how they pulled that off. And then again, they do that in, you know, uh, well, I mean, they do in the beginning of part three because it's technically the ending of part two. But that's one that's one of my favorite things they, they were able to pull off is how did you do that? How did you have redo the ending of part one like that? It's yeah, awesome. no, you're right. It, that's an absolutely um, amazing scene. And, you know, the the um, that's on the back lot of Universal. So everything's still there. I think all they had to do was just stage dock in the right place and and frame it in the right angle and just have Marty come running down. Uh, but you're right, man. That's just it, it. It looks like they just added. It looked like they went back in time and had <laughs> Marty McFly really run down that road. I know exactly. And considering we know for a fact that part one was only supposed to be part one, there was never supposed to be a part two. Right. It it almost looks like they filmed that knowing there was going to be a part two. They're like, okay, uh, we're going to film this and then we're going to cut it off at part one. You know, you, you, you'll be like, okay, in the next half a second, Marty's going to come around the corner. Boom, we cut. It's like they almost filmed it at the exact same time. Even, But they didn't because we clearly know, oh, part two, you want us to do a part two? Well, if that's the case, we never would have had Jennifer get in the car. Right. You know, so yeah, it's it's one of the greatest filmmaking tricks that I've ever seen. So it's it's so subtle, so little, and people be like, dude, that's no big deal. But if you think about it and you really pay attention, it's flawless. 
it, it's it amazes me, you know, just as as uh, Jameson and I have recently discussed and uh, and ranted about on our our last episode uh, about eighties remakes and and how to leave them alone, which uh, I, I highly recommend you check that out. By the way, uh, we we talk about how one of the things that I mentioned. Uh, E.T. for the first time my kids watched uh, and how powerful it was and, and how all their favorite movies are, are from the 80s and 90s and just having new generations watch these movies how it only feels like it's only a couple years old that it was only made just a few years ago uh, That that's a testament of, of the quality of these movies when you can get your kids to watch it and they dig it just as much as you did and they're not like, well, that's really old. Because there's some movies where you're just like, I can't relate to this because that kid has, uh, you know, he's carrying a stereo on his shoulders. Like, I got I got a stereo in my pocket, you know, stuff like that. But they're able to just pull it off, you know. It, it, nothing really dates the movie, you know. And I think because it's a timepiece that's what helps sells it, you know. When when you have movies that are specifically designed in a time frame, they're more acceptable. Uh, they're you know they're more I don't know they're more well received versus just a movie that's just plain done in the eighties, and then you watch it thirty years later, you're like ah yeah, but look at all those computer monitors. But when you have when that year pops on the screen, you know, nineteen seventy eight John Carpenter, you know, it says Haddonfield. October 31st, 1978, it, it, it solidifies it in film to where it's now acceptable to be dated and then you don't give it that, that dated uh, critique anymore. So just by adding one stupid line and adding a year, it totally changes the perspective of film, I think, anyways. So, and that, that's pretty cool. You, um, growing up, did you ever have any like fantasy castings? If you were to make your own or, you know, um, Actually, or where would you see, where would you like to see the story go or any ideas? Because uh, on that Coming to America episode, you mentioned how big of a fan I am of Back to the Future and that it would be inevitable for it to be remade in some capacity. Yes. Which, you know, we're also hoping that they do not, right? But right. If, if, it was, if it was in your hands. Have you ever had any fantasy casting uh, ideas? Okay, so so hypothetically, we're talking Back to the Future. Uh, as far as I know of, they have there's no legal rights that allow them to ever remake the movie. As far as I as far as what I read two years ago, I hope that's still the case. Um, the filmmakers have said we have it, uh, you know, in contract. It can never be remade, which I hope and pray is the case. Um. In regards to, let's just say, for the sake of argument, it gets remade. Uh, who could be Marty McFly today? Uh, boy. You know, um, have you ever seen Maze Runner? Uh, not yet, but you saw Bob Thomas? Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm talking about Dylan O'Brien uh, from Teen Wolf. Uh, he's, he's great because he's very funny. He's very quirky. And, uh, and, and there was one season in Teen Wolf where... Spoiler alert! Uh, he he basically was two people, and he was an he was a he was a killer, and he pulled off Heath Ledger's Joker, which was unbelievable. I'm like this funny guy, th this class clown, 
was able to pull off a, a crazy killer, and it it just proved his acting chops. And and if you've seen Maze Runner, you'll you'll kind of get where I'm going, where he could he could pull off Marty McFly because he's just he's very quirky, he's very funny, he's just an average guy. He's not no superhero. He's not like The Rock, where he can just you know defeat an earthquake. Uh, I think he would definitely be very good. Uh, and he's young enough too. You know, you can believe this guy's in high school. Uh, for sure, because I mean he's a high school student in Team Wolf, and he's he's just got a lot of acting chops. Uh, as far as Doc Brown, you definitely want to have somebody older, somebody crazy. Uh, man, who who would I dig? Uh, it's just a oh, man. Did you ever watch House? Uh, I I have. You know, John Malkovich could probably pull off being a, a crazy hmm. Doc Brown. Yeah. You know, because uh, he's funny as hell in in the Red movies. He he's just got such a. We've seen him as a bad guy in Con Air. He's excellent, but we've seen him be the crazy guy who just has amazing one-liners in Red Red One and Two. I think John Malkovich would be an awesome Doc Brown. Um, I think I think that would be really fun. Uh, in regards to Lorraine, uh, boy, you know, I love me some Ashley Benson from uh, from Pretty Little Liars. Uh, and if you've seen that uh, uh, stupid movie with uh, James Franco and the girls with Selena Gomez and they go Spring Breakers, yeah, she's in there. Uh, she's oh. the she's the blonde in Spring Breakers. Uh, she would be a pretty cool Lorraine. Uh, she's yeah. Um, you know, Leah's Th- uh, Leah Thomas's daughter looks just like her, but I don't, yeah, I don't know how go. she does in acting. But yeah, yeah, that that would be cool. Um, Man, uh, but Emma Stone, I think Emma Stone probably be your perfect Lorraine because uh, she is just a fantastic actress and can easily pull off blonde, redhead, uh, brunette. I mean, you give her any color of hair and she looks fantastic. So I think that's your Lorraine right there is Emma Stone. So I I don't know. I, I'd almost prefer her uh, as a Jennifer Parker over, over Lorraine because uh, I, I can't see her be – well – yeah, I guess if you were looking at part one, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, you, I, 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 to, to I be a to be a mother. fat to be a fat mom, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I guess you're right. I, I was just thinking like like somebody motherly, you know, like kind of nurturing. Like, but um, I don't know. You, no, you, you, you're right. I, I just I don't know what I was thinking. She probably could. Yeah, but I I don't know. I I think I would rather see her as a as a uh, Jennifer Parker, really. Yeah, and and uh, oof. Good times. Um, yeah, you know, I, man, I, I wish I would have thought about who I would have thought for a remake because I I never thought it would happen. But um, I, I would say if, check out Dylan O'Brien's work, man, um, which you really only have Team Wolf and the Maze Runner to look at. But the guy's getting a sequel uh, to Maze Runner this summer. Um, and uh, he was awesome in that movie. And I, I just think he's just perfect uh, if they were to do a remake like that. So. So, uh, you know, I know I've talked a lot about the, the series as a whole, which, I mean, tells you just how fantastic it is. But for the movie itself, uh, it's crazy that it's 30 years old. Makes me feel old for sure. But uh, I, I can't wish it a better anniversary. You know, uh, June 5th was the anniversary of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, 30 years. And, and look, now we're at Back to the Future anniversary. How crazy is that? Uh, so, yeah, I love this movie. Uh, my kids love this movie. I really don't know any person that I've come in contact with that like, yeah, Back to the Future sucks. Uh, so that that's pretty that's a pretty powerful testament. And, and I'm hoping for the anniversary, man. They go all out for these guys. 
but yeah, man, Back to the Future rocks. Number two favorite trilogy of all time. In regards to the movie itself, part one, like where would it be in like my top, you know, 10, top 20? It would definitely be in there. Just the movie by itself. But I always have to consider it one long story. I can't watch one without two or three. Um, I, I consider it one long, one big movie. Uh, so yeah, good times. Hi, I'm Jason, and I'm from the Flicks Podcast and the Real Films Podcast. Okay, and thank you, sir, for joining me today for the 30th anniversary of the uh, Back to the Future's release. Um, what does Back to the Future mean to you, and why is it one of your favorite movies? I wouldn't necessarily say it's one of my favorite movies, uh, but it is high up there. I mean, it's a movie I grew up on. Uh, it's probably the movie that kicked off my obsession with time travel and film. And, you know, it, uh, it's one of those rare examples of a trilogy that actually feels whole and complete for the most part. There are a couple bits and pieces here and there that, that don't feel so coherent or, or you know, uh, but that's because they made a single movie and then, you know, they it was super popular and they're like, we need to tell more story. And obviously when you do that, uh, things have to be changed and shuffled around a little bit to make it work. But for the most part, it's pretty solid, man. And uh, I think that's why I dig it. I think it's why it's kind of survived uh, this long with a, a massive fan base that doesn't just include the people that watched it when it originally came out, but anybody really any generation can watch this movie and kind of relate to it and uh do the fact that it does kind of deal with time travel and uh the fact that the quality of the film is still holds strong you know nobody can sit there and say it's necessarily dated because it it truly identifies itself with at least the uh the origin of it being in the 80s and so it's not trying to be anything other than that even the the future scenes that seem dated now because we are living in 2015. Uh, obviously it's a little hokey, but it's, it's very reminiscent of what you would think someone from the eighties felt the future would be like, uh, even though we know that not to necessarily be too true, you know, just to wrap up my thought is that the, the reason I enjoy it and the reason every generation after the generation that kind of birthed this movie and was it is because it's well made and uh it's just you know it's solid it it it's a, a very timeless movie because it's it's based in a time period and it doesn't try to be anything more than that uh but i think it all really comes down to the writing the direction the cast that was was put together for this film it's one of those, uh, you know, catching lightning in a bottle type things. And uh, very rarely does it work once, let alone three times. Yeah. Um, do you have you ever thought about uh, like comparing it to other trilogies as well? Like the, you know, the, the big ones, you know, like Matrix and, and Godfather. I know, you know, Godfather is like a super big franchise, but um, would you put it kind of like the upper echelon of trilogies or? I, I would think so. I think it, it works as a trilogy better than most. I mean, even the ones you mentioned, like The Matrix, you ask most people, The Matrix failed horribly. It had a really good first movie, and then it went downhill really fast from there. Uh, and that's, you know, 
based on kind of popular opinion. That doesn't mean like, you know, if you like part two and three, that's fine. You don't have to be apologetic about it. But a lot of people would consider that kind of a failed trilogy. Um, I think that even The Godfather has that stigma, whereas uh, one and two are revered as classics and three is just kind of a dud to a lot of people. It doesn't really hold a candle to the original two. Uh, Even Indiana Jones, you know, a lot of people feel that Temple of Doom is a weak link and I think they kind of appreciate it a lot more with the uh, inclusion of Crystal Skull, but you know, for a very long time when it was just three movies, you had a lot of people that felt that it just didn't fit, that it it wasn't of the caliber of the first and third ones. Uh, so I think every trilogy, every series really, it doesn't have to be a set of three, but it could be a set of two or four or whatever. Uh, you you I don't know if there's a perfect series or a perfect trilogy, but I do think that Back to the Future becomes really, really close. Uh and really, that's just my opinion because there's a couple things that bug me about the trilogy, but they're not enough really to for me to be like, oh, it could have been one of the greats, but this part really sucks, and so I think it's dumb. No, it's just you know kind of my opinion, but overall, I think it got it 99% right for me, and so that's why uh, I would consider it one of the better trilogies out there, like top, top 10 probably if you held a gun to my head. And I think what it kind of uh, sets it apart from some of the other trilogies is that it's one of the few um, franchises where each sequels take place right after the other movie, like li- like minutes. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I like about it is that it's just one big adventure. It's one constant adventure, uh, and I think it works well for that story. Do you think that there is a weak link, kind of like how you mentioned Temple of Dune from Indiana Jones? I don't think there's a weak weak link in terms of one of the movie is worse than the others. I know a lot of people feel that, uh, you know, I've talked to a bunch of people about Back to the Future over the years, and there's a big group of people that think Part 2 sucks. And there's a big group of people that think Part 3 sucks. You know, maybe they don't like Westerns, so they're just not into part three. Or maybe they think that the future version of the world that is portrayed in Back to the Future 2 is silly now. And so they think that's dumb. But for me, it's not necessarily a film. Like, I I enjoy all three. Um, The third one kind of being the one I enjoy the most. Uh the thing I have a problem with that kind of brings it down a little bit is a slight inconsistency just due to the fact that they didn't expect to have to make two more of these movies when they made the first one. And so when they made the second one and the third one back to back, cause they wanted to make this trilogy, they needed to give Marty McFly some sort of flaw. And I feel the flaw they gave him was a pretty silly one. The fact that anybody who calls him chicken, it, gets him all worked up and he's got to make stupid decisions at that point. I think it's kind of stupid. Uh, I've never liked it ever since I was a little kid and I saw the second and third one. I always thought that aspect of the character was really dumb and they, I feel they could have done a little better. In fact, I don't even really think it needed he needed to be given a weakness at all. I think there was enough fun and adventure in the situation he was in that you didn't necessarily need a character flaw, especially one that was kind of silly like that. 
but really, I think that is the only real thing about the movies that I just kind of roll my eyes at. Uh, and if that's the only thing that I'm just like, eh, I don't care for that part, then I think they did an excellent job because out of three movies, the only thing I disliked was, you know, whatever character flaw they decided to give Marty McFly. Uh, that's a very small thing when you when you consider how much they did right. And do you have uh, like a favorite character uh, outside of like Doc and Marty that that kind of stand out for you? Uh, not necessarily. I think the entire cast is solid. You know, Doc and Marty are great, but Doc and Marty aren't interesting without Biff, and they're not interesting without you know the the rest of the McFlys, uh, past, present, and future. And you know, they're they're not interesting if you don't have you know the principal of the school or. You know, even the the crazy lady collecting change to save the clock tower. You know, every character in the film adds to each other. And every small character just makes Doc and Marty better. Uh, every big character is lifted up by the smaller characters. So, I, like I said, it, it was a perfect storm. It was a, a lightning in a bottle. You You... I am hard pressed to find too many movies that managed to get it all correct one right after the other, even though there were some, some actors that came and went in the franchise here and there, they did a really good job making it so you didn't notice or care too much because really the characters stayed true, uh, which is something that some films don't manage to get right. And they did. Um, I, I do have a question for you, actually. What, do you have an opinion on how people, um, some people point out that, you know, uh, Maggie, right? Yes. Maggie McFly, and she she is not a Baines, but yet she looks like, you know, Lorraine. Do you have, like, any opinions on, you know, um, using Leah Thompson for that role? I, you know, I've always heard that, well, usually... You know, sometimes the, uh, the the sons they they you know choose a woman that reminds them of their mother or something, and that kind of explains it. But did that I think ever... it was I think it was just came down to the fact that they needed Marty to wake up to his mother, yeah, uh, or the person playing his mother or whatever. It, the The movies are extremely repetitive, and they're extremely repetitive for a reason. Because history repeats itself. Uh, that's kind of the motto of the movie. And they take that very, very literally. So I think that's the only reason she plays Maggie is because we needed her to, he, we needed him to wake up with her next to, sitting next to the bed. Uh, I think if it would have, if the script had not changed, and he knocks himself out on the train tracks and he's put in the bed and he wakes up not quite knowing where he is and they have somebody else playing that role, it would not have worked. It would not have felt right because we just spent two movies where it was her, you know, and him being confused. But, you know, seeing it's his mom, but then coming to the realization that it's not his mom or technically it is his mom, uh, <laughs> but a different version of his mom. And uh, I think that's the only reason she was cast there. And I, I would have a problem with it if it was anybody else. Yeah. I, I think it's fine because she, you know, he wakes up and she has the accent too. Like he couldn't figure that out, but you know, it's, it's fine. 
Um, do you? Uh, what are some of your favorite scenes? I like them all, man. I like them all. I mean, you can't really pick. That's a difficult question. It is. I I think the reveal of the time machine is always a classic. the The entire scene where we he gets to see it tra- uh, travel in time for the very first time. Uh, I would say, for some reason, I really enjoy him and Doc unearthing the time machine from the old mine next to the cemetery oh, in yeah. part three. That's always fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I think if you're going to boil the entire trilogy down to probably one iconic scene, it would probably be him traveling back to the future at the end of part one. Uh, you know, it's thrilling, it's exciting, it's nail-biting, it's everything you want the finale of a movie to be. Uh, you have him having to race the clock and the lightning bolt down the street. You have Doc trying to connect wires so that he can actually connect with the lightning bolt when it actually strikes the clock tower. Uh, you have the car not starting. You have the fact that he tore up the letter. You have everything going wrong in this situation, and everything has to go right. And so I think that scene above all others is kind of the one that sets the tone for the entire series. How do you think they um, redid the opening to uh, to part three? It, it, is it part three that I'm thinking of? Where, you, um, where we get the recreation of that scene from part one, maybe it was two. Oh, it was the, yeah, the end of two, beginning mm-hmm. of three, and and then you got Mar- uh, um, uh, Marty from nineteen eighty five running down the street when his first self had just traveled in time. Is it just? Do you think that was just reshot and just framed exactly the same way? Just completely reshot. I mean, it's not too difficult to look back on the footage you had before and kind of sync it back up. I mean, it's not. Probably not perfect if you played them side by side and and really focused on it, much like they had to reshoot the entire uh, ending section of part one to, you know, replace a character or an actress uh, for the beginning of part two. If you look, you can tell there's a little bit of differences, but no one's going to really notice too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had the set. It's not like the set went anywhere. It's I mean, the set is still standing today at the Universal Backlot, so it's not too difficult to recreate something like that. And what are um, some of your favorite quotes from the the franchise? I would say every single one. (laughs) Every single one. This movie is infinitely quotable uh, from all the characters. Uh, So, you know, I can't even begin to to pick one. uh, This this next question is probably going to be the same thing, but like if there was something that you can own from from the movies, you know, um, whether it's the the DeLorean, which I'm sure a lot of people, I think everybody would say that. Yeah. Um, Well, if someone came up to you, if some shady dude in a robe, you know, with torches in the background, you're in a cave, and he's like, "You can choose whatever you want from these films and to take with you." You would be an idiot not to pick the time machine. Yes, yeah. Because one of the things I've always wanted is um, Doc's uh, scaled down. You know the model of Hill Valley Square. Which one? Um, well, yeah, I guess the original. Because I would take the one from the Western. Yeah, I, I just find that 
a little cooler. Yeah, no point of uh, point of no return, and mm-hmm. yeah, I guess you're kind of right because that's uh, yeah. Mm, I think I will give that one the edge only because of the version of the time machine he had, because the other one was just a regular car. Yep. With the, with a matchstick <laughs> on the back of it. I think it. there was more effort put into the one in the old west than there was in the the garage. Even though it looked really good. Like you said, he didn't even bother to make a time machine. He just had a wind-up car. Uh, I I don't know. It it seemed – I don't know what it is about the Western version. I don't know what it is about Part 3 in general. I just find it so much more fun than the other two films. Even though the first one is classic and it's always going to be kind of number one, uh, the Old West one is just a lot of fun for me. Yeah, I mean, you, I think you hit it on on the head there that you know it, it's a lot more detailed. You know, mm-hmm. like they, they they probably used actual little pieces, twigs, and stuff to actually recreate that that area. Yeah, he had to go out in the backyard. And yeah, figure it out. Um, and do you uh, what do you have any favorite pieces of like trivia from from the movie? Because um, there's so many different things in here. And I'm still finding like new articles where people are saying, "I've never noticed the you know Lone Pine Mall sign." I'm like, "You, you kidding me? Like this, this movie's yeah, almost, that's kind of obvious. It, it is. I mean, uh, he stands right trivia by." Trivia wise, I don't know about trivia, but I do enjoy how the movie came to be because if you read the original script, it is a very different movie. You know, you read the script that was handed to the people who, with the pocketbooks. And they're like, we want to make this movie about a kid who time travels in a refrigerator uh, powered by Coca-Cola. Like, you're never going to make that movie. It seems ridiculous that that movie ever got made. But through script revisions, we got the movie we now know and love. Uh, And even beyond that, you know, you had a script that almost sunk it before it was even made. But once they got the script nailed down... They started filming the movie and they found that the guy they hired to be Marty McFly wasn't working, that the tone of the movie was not at all what they wanted it to be. And so they had to basically go to the studio and be like, hey, not working out. We need to replace the main actor and reshoot a bunch of this movie. That could have easily sunk it right there. The studio could have just said, no, it's too costly. Uh, Either finish it with Eric Stoltz or we're just going to scrap it right now. And oddly enough, weirdly enough, because if you know how Hollywood works, this doesn't happen often. They're like, yeah, sure. We'll pay for that. And it's crazy. And it worked and it worked perfectly. Uh, I hate to beat a, you know, dead horse, but you know, it's lightning in a bottle. It's a perfect storm. Everything should have gone wrong with the making of the first movie. And it didn't, it totally worked. In a weird, odd way. The movie was meant to happen. No matter what you threw at it, be it a bad script, be it a, a bad uh, initial casting, everything ended up fine in the end, which is very odd for Hollywood. And now, with you being a filmmaker, have you ever had like a fantasy casting if you were to, you know, whether a fan film or, or you know, do a version yourself or a continuation of the story? Have you ever thought about who you would cast in some of these roles? In Back to the Future? Mm-hmm. 
No, leave it alone. Yeah. No, I, I feel the same way, but <laughs> but I, I I've had I, my... I couldn't I couldn't even begin to try and recast this movie just because I would you know, you, you pick anybody, you pick Joe Schmo off the street and you're like, Okay, you're gonna play Marty McFly, you're gonna want him to do exactly what Michael J. Fox did. I mean, it's really difficult to get away from that. And I wouldn't want like as a filmmaker, if they came up and they're like, we want to remake Back to the Future and we want you to kind of handle the reins, I would have to say hell no because that's way too much pressure uh, because everybody's going to hate your movie uh, straight up uh, because that's just the way it works in today's atmosphere of the internet. Uh, so I think Back to the Future, one of the cool things about it, as I said, is it's timeless and it I don't know of too many people out there who are like, this movie needs to re- be remade because it's kind of dated and it just doesn't work anymore. Uh, it's one of those movies that I think generally everybody agrees that it still works and so there's no real reason to touch it. I mean, if if you look at the way Hollywood is working these days and remaking everything, but you don't hear anything about a remake of Back to the Future, you kind of have to assume that Hollywood agrees too. Yeah, you make a good point um, because if... If somebody were to redo this, you're you're basically asking the new cast to um, copycat, you know, the the previous people because these these actors, if they try to put their own spin on it, then the chemistry may not be the same. And now, yeah, I think if if they did say we're going to remake Back to the Future, I would be the one to kind of champion them doing something completely different with it. Because I don't need to sit around and watch a, somebody imitate Michael J. Fox playing Marty McFly. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think anybody wants to see that. But if they said, you know, we're going to take this in a completely different direction, it'll still have a crazy scientist and a teenage boy, and there's still going to be a time machine, but it's going to be completely different. I think I would be more behind that than I would like a straight up remake mm-hmm. a, re- a reimagining yeah i would i would be way be down for a reimagining a remake not so much a reboot not so much but if you're just going to say let's let's tell another story let's tell another kind of story i would be more down for that and w- when was the earliest you recall going to watch this you, you didn't get to watch this in the theater you mentioned no i watched it on vhs vhs tape four billion trillion times when i was a kid did you watch all three on vhs at the same time or was there some waiting no i i managed to see the second and third one in the theater uh i saw i I remember it being one of the coolest kind of theater going experiences of my young childhood because it was the first time you know i went and saw a sequel to a movie i'd watched a hundred times on vhs it was awesome and then right after the movie, they're like, wait, there's more. Right. And immediately you were given the trailer for part three because they filmed them back to back. And they're like, hey, not in a, you know, a few months or whatever, we're going to show you this one too. And I always remembered that because it was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. Uh, and it was exciting to know that I wouldn't have to wait another few years to get another adventure. It was you know a few months away, uh, which was pretty cool. But overall, I think that's the only real thing I remember about those screenings is just the fact that they put the trailer for the third one after the second one. 
I I almost want to say Back to the Future Three was probably my first western that I can recall. You know that that you know I think that was the movie that turned me on to westerns, and I I do remember that teaser that you speak of. You know, part two ended, and I I think the first image was Marty approaching Hill Valley. You know, and yeah, it's it, the big opening shot where it kind of swoops over the old West Hill Valley and. Mm-hmm. The music starts playing, but it's a good a little bit of the Western twang to it. And you know, it was a whole new ball game. We just sat through a whole movie where you had, you know, a dark dystopian future, uh, you know, nineteen eighty five, and then we go back to nineteen fifties and it's dark and stormy and rainy and lightnings everywhere and whatever to bright sunshine, a hill valley that's barely been built and you know, adventure. In, it just captured my imagination. I think that might be why the third one is one of my favorites is just because it was so bright and different and, you know, the energy was completely different uh, as it was shown to me in that trailer than the movie I had just got done watching. And you know what's one of the most iconic images from part three for me is Doc and Marty standing with the clock tower, you know, before it even, even goes up. It's like, a good one. It, it's it's really good. I, I and I can't think of. I don't. I don't even think the picture of Marty and his siblings from part one is you know as good. No, that's a dopey picture. <laughs> yeah, I mean they they cut off Dave's hair and and all that good stuff. Um, did you uh, do you remember like like your first um, memorabilia or toy that you got that was related to the uh, to the franchise? Not really. I had micro machines. I had Back to the Future two micro machines. I think that was about it. You never collected those uh, those cards from Part Two. No, nope. no. I I had those. They came with a stick of gum. Um, I wasn't really a uh, collector back then of too much uh, besides action figures and stuff. And there wasn't any action figures for Back to the Future back then. So really, all you had were, uh, you know, Burger King uh, toys. Yeah, stuff like that. Uh, when the cartoon came out, there were a few things out there. Uh, but for the most part, I made do with some micro-machines. They you were ever, pretty awesome. Did you ever have that um, animated version of Doc in the train that sparked up when you wound it back? Nope. I never got any of the the fast food toys or anything. Oh, uh, well, I, I was a Superman guy. I had right. Superman stuff. <laughs> I had plenty of that. Um, what's your coolest Back to the Future collectible now, if any? Um, I don't really have much. I have a bunch of cars. I have a, uh, I have two versions of the DeLorean. I have a uh, regular Back to the Future one with uh, Mister Fusion on the back mm-hmm. DeLorean. Uh, kind of a bigger one, you know, the, I don't know the scale, but the, the much larger one, not the Hot Wheels size one. I have a couple of those, but the, the much larger version of that, I have, um, the one that lights up, uh, mine does not light up. Oh, no. okay. Uh, the one I got came out like a couple years before the one that lights up. Oh, I see. And then I have a smaller than that, but still much bigger than a Hot Wheels car version of the Back to the Future 3 car. Uh, that my friend Jameson got me for Christmas. Uh, and then that's pretty much it. Some Hot Wheels and some bigger cars, and that's kind of the gist of it. Would you ever want that um, that lifelike 
Marty McFly. I don't know if you want to call it an action figure. Uh, I forget the name of the, the the company that's releasing it, but it's coming out pretty soon for two hundred twenty five dollars. Not at all. Not at I all. I don't need to spend any of that money on that. I, I, it looks pretty darn cool, though. Um, I mean, yeah, I would just. I don't need more things collecting <laughs> dust. In my old age, I have to be way more uh, thrifty with my money, and I only buy the the cool collectibles that I really, really, really have to have. Everything else goes to adult stuff, you know, bills and kids' clothes and food. Hydrated pizzas. Nah, no. I like the regular old old school pizzas. Happy birthday, Back to the Future. If you'd like to email in, you can do so at hlfpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at hlfpodcast. Give us a like on our Facebook page, and also please rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. It only takes a few seconds. This tribute is to be continued in Part 2, so stay tuned. Until then, I'm Peter, and this is Hydrate Level 4.